on my own. And then once I hit 30, I can't sleep past sunrise. So once the sun starts to come up, I'm awake, no matter how late I've been up. And um, <clears throat> can you imagine me on coffee? <laughs> right? <laughs> I did it for like 20 or not 20 years, but for a long time while I was uh, a hairdresser because it gave you a lot of motivation and a lot of energy. Um, but I remember like the crash and the burn, like it was, whoo, I'd start soaring and after the third cup, forget it, I was useless. I'd just have to sit in the corner and shake it off. But um, it's amazing. It's amazing that um, even, you know, as time goes on, it's like I still have the energy that, um, that I need to to get through the things that, you know, God puts before us. I've been up for the last two nights until about 1230. And um, I've had some incredible conversations with, with some of you and then also other people that have approached me. And um, one of the things that I'm just affirmed of all the time is that there's so much damage in our church, in our people, because we're just human beings. And I think we lose sight of a lot of times that as we're Adventists and, you know, we want to do the right thing. We've made commitments to Jesus. You know, we've been baptized. Some of us are generational Adventists. But it still doesn't negate the fact that we live in a dirty and defiled world. And that's not going to change. It's only going to ramp up and get worse. And so I'm reminded, once again, that uh, even in our humanity, we need opportunities to be able to talk about uh, the things that, are that we're struggling with, the things that have been you know, thrown at us. I was talking with a family yesterday whose son was molested um, by another student in an Adventist school. And they just don't know what to do. And um, you know, so this is still going on. And, and so again, I, I just want to um, let you know that I, I hear you. And, um, and I think that it's good that we're having these conversations. My desire, you know, is that <laughs> I come and go, which is really kind of nice because I don't have to, you know, be in the trenches. You know, I get to, you know, kind of like a little firefly. I get to like light here and, and there and, and move on. But you're the ones that really are in the trenches day in and day out. And I think of, you know, the teachers and I think of the pastors and the leadership of the churches. You're the ones that are investing in making relationships that are going to be eternal. And, and I believe that by having these conversations that we're really opening up the door uh, to be able to minister and to really show what the gospel does, to put power and teeth in the gospel. And I think that we've been missing that for a long time because we misunderstand or, or for some reason we think in our head, well, if I act perfect, maybe I'll be perfect. And so we're afraid to really show our underbellies for fear that, well, maybe quite frankly, we'd be either talked about, gossiped about, uh, thrown out of the church, or maybe even abused. So um, I, I just want to thank you for your perseverance <laughs> and your patience with me. And um, I just want to do a, a couple of little housekeeping items um, as we begin this morning. Again, the, I got an email from the bookstore, and they said, <laughs> Mike, make a proclamation about your product at the bookstore because it's not moving much or, or whatever. So I just want to, again, you know, let you know about the movie. Journey Interrupted was produced three years ago, and it's uh, five journeys of individuals in LGBT culture and our history, uh, how the Lord interrupted our journeys and gave us another option, and, and how some of us walked in that. Anna is what I call the cliffhanger to the film. What's also incredible is that there's a 90-minute extra uh, session that comes with it to talk about many of the questions that we get in the Q&A. Talking about a Q&A, I'd also like to tell you that on the back table, there's a rainbow pad of Post-its. And so, <laughs> no pun intended, right? <clears throat> so um, if you would, here's the, here's the option. I said yesterday that if you submit enough questions, then we can turn tomorrow's session into a Q&A. Because I've been presenting 
each and every day, and so that hasn't given you an opportunity to really share. A and someone asked me this morning, they said, well, why, why do we have to have you know, the Q&A to be open? You know, Because some of your questions are very private, and I understand that. However, if you ask that question in a public forum, then maybe somebody else has the same question, but they're just afraid to ask it. And so we've provided the paper. We want to be able to make it anonymous. We're not going to pass around a microphone. Um, but what we will do is we'll allow you to submit those questions. And if we collect enough questions, then what we'll do is we'll use that as the Q&A tomorrow. If there's not enough questions, you're just going to be stuck with another presentation, which I don't mind. It's up to you. But again, I think it's really good to have an exchange so that I can know where you're coming from and that maybe I can answer some of these difficult questions that this week has probably um, brought up in your mind and in your heart. Okay? Yes? Um, you, they're sticky, the sticky notes, so just stick them right on that table and I'll get them. I, if it's something that you really want to keep private, you can just hand it to me, okay? You can just slip it to me. If I'm talking, to, just slip it to me, all right? Okay, cool. All right, great. So we did that. Let's see. Oh, and then let me do another shameless promotion for the Gay Puzzle 1 and 2. Um, our ministry is completely supported by your donations. If you see value in this ministry, if the Holy Spirit impresses you, uh, we have the opportunity that you can go to our website, comingoutministries.org. You can also donate there. Um, what we really encourage is if you just did a monthly donation and you have the ability to do that on the website, what that does is that gives us the opportunity to plan ahead. Uh, we went to Cuba last year and we had to raise 17000 to go to Cuba and we took interpreters with us as well. But the challenge was is we had to wait until we had the funding before we could go. So we realize now that if people are willing, even if it's $10 a month, 20 100 whatever that is, if, if we knew that that was coming in each and every month, that would give us the ability to plan ahead and to get into some of the areas where we've been invited. It would also allow us to produce more materials um, um, to give out or to hand out. Um, so again, if, if you're impressed and if you feel that there's value, I just want to encourage you to go to the bookstore, help support us that way, uh, go to the website, and again, ahead of time, I just want to thank you for your, for your support. So today, I'm going to be talking about uh, basically sexual sin. I'm going to segue a little bit from the LGBT topic, but uh, definitely something that uh, I related to, coming into church with a sexual addiction, addiction to pornography. Those, I realize now, are the number one issues in the church. We have an incredible series. It's not an Adventist series. I just want to tell you now. I think there's a couple references to Sunday, but everything else is biblically sound, and it's an amazing, amazing resource. It comes with 12 DVDs, comes with two workbooks and a journal, and it's excellent, excellent uh, way of finding not only accountability, um, but also uh, to address the reasons why pornography is so highly addictive. And I think that you know a lot of times we want to mop up just the problem of pornography, but really there's something behind that that's going on. And this series does an amazing job of addressing that as well. And I'll play for you a video. Um, let me do that now.
I also want to mention that um, I was in South Africa <laughs> less than a month ago. Well, that was quick. And um, while I was in South Africa, I actually took the whole series. It's expensive. It's not cheap. And we are not charging anything above what they charge us for the series. It's 250 bucks. It's, it's, it's extensive. But, you know, what's your salvation worth, you know? What would it be worth to, to find that victory over something that you're keeping in secret? Or <laughs> rather, you're keeping a secret with Satan. Um, when I took it to South Africa, the leadership last year, they invited me to come back. And they said, bring with, us, bring with you resources. They recognized that even their pastors were struggling with this issue. 62% of Christian pastors struggle with pornography addiction. One out of three women. It's not a guy thing anymore. Um, so this year when I went back, I presented to the pastors of the North Af South African Conference. And um, I did the same program that I'm going to do this morning with them. And also let them know that I think with pastors especially, you know, how do they find accountability? You know, if they tell their supervisor, they may lose their job. You know, if they share with their, their membership of the church, it will ruin their career. It could even ruin their family. I was picked up on the airport by a pastor one time. I was doing a, a men's ministry for, um, for their church, and he said, you think you're here for my church, but you're really here for me. And he said he'd struggled with a porn addiction for over 35 years. His wife knew, um, and he knew that his probation was closing. And he said, I'm desperate to find victory over this thing. And just in that two-hour conversation that we had driving from the airport, realized that the damage that had happened when he was 11 years old, his brother was killed in a car accident, and his mother was basically on life support uh, during that time. He never had an opportunity to grieve the loss of the most intimate relationship for an 11-year-old boy, which would be your 13-year-old brother. And because of that, what it did is it gave him this this fear that if I get intimate with anyone else, and intimacy is not, is not necessarily sex, but it's an intimate relationship with someone that you know, and that his fear was that if I allow myself to be vulnerable and share who I am, that that person could be killed or maybe even taken away. And so for him, that blocked him from being able to be truly intimate with his wife. It drove him to pornography addiction because porn gives you false intimacy for the moment. It never gives you long-lasting intimacy, which is the drive that keeps you going back to that thing. And as he was able to process that with his wife throughout the weekend, he was able to find the victory that he was finally seeking for all these years, recognizing that the problem had happened way before pornography addiction. So the series, I think, is amazing. And there were many pastors that, that you know, went and purchased this for themselves and for their churches. And um, we had this thing, anyone a, a medical person? Just, yeah, all right. So, you know, when I was um, working in the hospital, I was working in a psych unit, and I tell people I got my therapy for free. <laughs> but um, we had this, AIDS had just come out in the 80s, and I remember that we had what was called AIDS precaution or HIV precaution. And so basically what we do is we just treat everybody as if they have AIDS, and then that way you won't get it. So that meant, you know, with your needles and with your, you know, prepping and the way that you dealt with people and interacted with blood and, and different, you know, um, substances that came from the body, if you treated it as if they had AIDS, you were less likely to get it. So um, that would be my recommendation for the series. If you're a pastor or if you're a leader in your church, get the series and offer it as a men's ministry for your church. And, and even if it's your issue, you know, you can basically you know, purchase the product and say it's something that you want to do for your church, and also it would benefit you as well. Um, so if we have that understanding, I think it, it, it helps to um, um, protect your anonymity, but at the same time addresses the issues that you may have and also maybe help to free somebody else. 
It's an incredible program. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to really talk about um, some of the tools, Lord, that you've given to me, and I wasn't finding them in the church, and everybody's afraid to talk about sex, and Lord, it was the first work that you gave to Adam and Eve. You said, be fruitful and multiply, and look at how it has been so devastated and deceived and destroyed, and so Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit, and you'll speak to us, and for those that may be struggling within the sound of my voice, Lord, um, send your spirit to them as well. Give them hope. Give them courage, Lord, to begin this journey and to remind them, Lord, that you've got everything already provided to give them victory, not tomorrow, but today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, last time also, we had the handout for the uh, program for yesterday on transgenderism and sexuality. Also, we had the packets of the tracks, four different tracks of four different stories talking about the LGBT issue or sexual sin, and those are available in the back as well as in the bookstore. Uh, if you like, grab a pack if you haven't already, and um, again, that's provided for you as well. All right, where did my clicker go in my pocket? Okay, all right, so I wanna start off, first of all, with this slide. Take a look at it for just a moment. And I said it a couple of days ago, and I wanna say it again. Any parent that allows their children to have unlimited access to the internet, you are setting your children up to fail if they haven't already. The pornography industry is so pervasive. Did you know that the pornography industry actually is looking to uh, destroy your children? That if a little kid looks up Barney the Purple Dinosaur on the internet, that they're automatically slimed with adult pornography because the pornography industry knows that the sooner that they can get your children, the sooner that they can hook them, get them addicted, and then get their resources. But the devil knows that the sooner that he can expose your children to pornography, the sooner they can also destroy their salvation. They've done studies and they've shown the brains of a brain on heroin and a brain on pornography and they look the same, like Swiss cheese. There's incredible holes and, 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 and uh, indentations in the brains and you look at that and that would make you feel pretty hopeless. Scott Ritzema does an incredible series as well and I think that we have those available in the bookstore called um, A Greater Lust. And it's several DVDs that basically unpack not only the science, but scripture and Ellen White to support the process. And so <coughs> what Scott does is he does a really excellent job of addressing how these things happen through science and also through spirit of prophecy, which I greatly appreciate. Um, so here we go. You have the mother and she's like, hey, Billy, you know, do you and your friends have the laptop? And then you look at the door of Billy's room and you know exactly what they're looking at. And Billy says, uh, we're doing our homework, mom. And how many times can you think back in your own life and think about your own children and having access to these things that they have access to unlimited? You know, even adult men, we don't have control over this. I have accountability software on every device that I own because what it does is it helps me. It's not my victory, but it's another tool that I can use to keep me from tunneling and looking at singles in my area or looking at certain things. And while it is somewhat restrictive, because when I go in to look at an article about pedophilia on the rise in California or something like that, it'll block me and it'll say, we're telling your accountability partner, but ultimately I'm grateful because what that does is it holds me accountable. It helps to keep me in check. According to Covenant Eyes, every second $3,000 is being spent on pornography. That's $11 million every hour. Every second, 28,000 people are viewing pornography. That's 102 million people every hour. The average age of first internet exposure to pornography, 11 years old, and that number is much lower now. 
15 to 17 year olds having viewed uh, multiple hardcore exposures. We're not just talking about naked images. We're talking about hardcore sex, 80%. And eight to 16 year olds having viewed pornography online, 90% and mostly while doing homework. There was a young man I was talking about um, a couple of days ago as well. His name is Jacques Laguerre, incredible human being. Father was a pastor, his mother's a nurse, and they kept the computer in the family room so that they could access what their children were watching. They sent their son to an Adventist school, and in second grade, seven years old, his best friend brought a piece of pornography that they printed off the family computer, and that hooked Jacques. From that moment on, he would set his alarm clock for three o'clock in the morning so he could look on the family computer in the family room at pornography all night long. Can you imagine that? Seven years old. And this is an old story. Ultimately, he was not only addicted to pornography, but he started acting out sexually when he went to Southern University and also Andrews University. And at both of those universities, he said he never had to pay for sex because there was always plenty of girls willing to have sex with him. There'd be a girl playing the guitar during Vespers, and she was sending texts of herself naked from the waist up to his roommate. This is what's going on in our schools, brothers and sisters. And this has been going on for years. Pornography industry is larger than the revenues of the top technology companies combined. You take Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix, you put their revenues together and pornography still makes more. Ted Wilson did a study two years ago. He announced at the fall session that 49% of our Adventist students think that gay marriage is acceptable. Is that surprising to you? Because we're not talking about it, guess who is? The world. They're talking to your kids and your kids are talking to each other. And you know, many times parents are really apprehensive to allow them to listen to my presentations or to coming out ministries for fear that they're gonna educate your children. Well, let me buy you a vow. <laughs> your children already are being slimed at a much more rapid rate than you were. I never had a sexual thought until I was 13 years old, but your children are being addicted and exposed at the ages of seven, eight, and nine years old. What's most alarming to me is, according to Covenant Eyes, only 3% of boys and 17% of girls have never seen pornography. I want to share with you a testimony from a young man named Tim Ross. I think it's a powerful, powerful testimony of not only what began um, a pornography addiction for him, but also how the Lord allowed him to be exposed so that he could find recovery, not just for him, but also for his family.
think that many times it, it's understandable you know, that we don't know who to share it with. And remember when I was 20 years old struggling with my own same-sex attraction and, and looking for somebody that I, could, that I could share my secret with, and I handpicked one guy after several weeks that I thought, okay, maybe this is the guy I'm going to share my secret with. And when I sat down with him as an elder in the church, somebody that I thought I could, that I could trust that would respect me, he said something so derogatory about women, I knew I couldn't trust him. And I said to God, that's the best you got? And I was out. And so, again, you know, with these issues, we need to understand that we have to be accepting of the fact that, you know what? God sometimes puts away his magic wand, and sometimes we're going to have to struggle with the flesh to find that victory over it. But one thing that I've realized now is that I thought that Jeremiah 79 was my greatest curse, that my thoughts inside my head were only evil all the time, and I was desperately wicked, right? Who can know it? I don't even know myself. And so in my mind, I'm desperately always going to try to go back to this thing that gave me any kind of satisfaction. Why? Because I wasn't finding satisfaction in Jesus. So in this process, I believe that the reason why Jesus allows us to struggle with, with our flesh, with these thoughts inside of our head, he doesn't take it away for our convenience. But what we do is we have to learn the process of striving with Jesus. And in the morning, now I recognize that when I wake up, before I can even have a real conscious thought, I say, Lord, my mind is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Only you know it. And I say, Lord, I'm going to need a hero today. Be my hero. And what I find is throughout the day, the Holy Spirit is, is, is desperate to enlighten me, desperate to let me know when my thoughts are starting to go awry because they still do. I've been walking with Jesus for 18 years, but that doesn't mean that my history, my memory is gone. And Satan uses that still at me at a rapid pace. And so now I realize that what was my greatest curse? It's really my greatest blessing because Jesus says that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Just acknowledge that you're weak. Just acknowledge that this is overcoming you, and that's when my, my strength kicks in. And I believe that that's why we struggle is because we have to learn to depend upon Jesus Christ like air. Every time I breathe in, I have to confess my thoughts. Every time I exhale, I have to recognize that on my own, that these thoughts are going to come bounding into my head. And so... I realize now that my greatest blessing is to recognize my weakness. Pray without ceasing. Now, if I walked around just talking to myself, you'd think I was schizophrenic. But as I'm learning the process, one day this dirty thought came into my head. And because I was being constant in prayer, didn't stop the devil from throwing slime ball at me. But immediately, my first response was, Lord, that didn't come from you. And that to me was a beautiful revelation that instead of responding to the temptation, instead of responding to the devil who I know personally, my first inclination was to check in with my Savior and say, Lord, that didn't come from you. And that to me was a revelation that something was working, that this process. And I love how Tim says it. It took more than five minutes to get into this mess. It makes sense, doesn't it, that it might take more than five minutes to get out? All right, let's move on. Child Guidance, page 445, as I was an elder in my church and fell back into my struggle with pornography, an elder in the church and thinking, you know, there's no way I'm going to the pastor, and the things that worked before weren't working now. God had turned off this valve of the sexual appetite that was in my mind, and, and he did that as a, as a blessing to me, but I'm the one that opened Pandora's box up again. And so the things that worked before weren't working again, and this, this verse came with a special conviction. Those who are controlled by their passions cannot be followers of Christ whether you're a pastor, an elder, or just a layperson. They are too much devoted to the service of their master, the originator of every evil, to leave their corrupt habits and choose the service of Christ. Well, now I understand why some people don't like Ellen White. But I was convicted by that. And, of course, it crushed my feet. 
and here I am struggling again to try to find the victory. I went to testimonies on sexual behavior, adultery, and divorce. I thought, well, that ought to have something to appeal to me. And as I was reading in that book, I found a story where Ellen White was, was in New York, and this man came up to her and he said, listen, I'm sick, my wife is sick, and, and, and he says, will you pray for me? And she, for some reason, hesitated, and she said, come back tomorrow, and I'm going to pray about it. What she did is she went back to where she was staying, and that night the Lord revealed to her, she woke up, and the Lord revealed to her that he had an issue with masturbation. Whoa. <laughs> Imagine the next day when he came up to her and the prophet of the Lord looked at him and said, hey, brother, you struggle with masturbation? I'm glad it wasn't me. That's all I can say. <laughs> and he did admit it. And she said, I can't pray for you. And the first time that I read that I felt ostracized, I felt cut off, I felt judged. And she said this, if I were to pray for you and if God would grant you strength, you would only waste it on your vile habit. And she went on to say that the reason why you're sick and your wife is sick and the reason that your child died, he didn't even tell her that, is because of this pernicious habit. And so even the secret sins that we think that nobody else is affected by, they have an effect on people. You know, Ellen White talks about throw a pebble in a lake, right, and the ripple effect. And remember, whether it's good or bad, she said, it has an effect and it will reach the shore. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. So I might be able to hide my sin from you. I might be able to put on my happy face and pack my garbage in my trunk. But ultimately, one day, I'll have to stand before a righteous and holy God. And, you know, everything will be exposed. And praise God that that brings conviction to me. Because what it does is it reminds me again that I want to be pure for Jesus. I want to accept the gift that he has. And when I stand there that day, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You weren't so faithful, but you accepted my faithfulness and what I've accomplished for you. That's what I want to hear. So I started to collect um, verses that would help me along the journey. I shared with, um, with you a couple of days ago this quote. I think it's amazing. The prophet of the Lord even tells us what the issue is going to be at the end of time. And wouldn't it be just like our Laodicea to sit there and ignore the message of the Lord? This is what she says. Satan's repetitious plots near the close of this earth's history. Satan will work with how much? All of his powers in the same manner and with the same temptations wherewith he tempted ancient Israel. Do you remember what that was? Remember? Baal couldn't even uh, curse the people of God, but he said, if you send the ladies in, we can take them down, right? And that's exactly what happened. It goes on and it says, um, to temptations wherewith he tempted ancient Israel just before they're entering the land of promise. He will lay snares for those who claim to keep the commandments of God and those, here you go, who are almost on the borders of the heavenly Canaan. Isn't that us? She goes on. She says, he will use his powers to their utmost in order to entrap souls and to take God's professed people upon their weakest points. Those who have not brought the lower passions into subjection to the higher powers of their being, those who have allowed their minds to flow in a channel of carnal indulgence of the baser passions, Satan is determined to destroy with his temptations to pollute their souls with licentiousness. Wow. And so if Alan White has made it clear exactly what the issues are going to be at the end of time, shouldn't we perk up? Shouldn't we have more programs about this? Shouldn't every church have a men's ministry? How many of your churches have a women's ministry? Hold your hands up if you would. Really high. Let me see them. Women's ministry. Look at that. You guys have little secret sister, and you got these little special lunches, and you cut the crusts off your sandwiches. I get it. <laughs> Raise your hand if your church has a men's ministry. I'm impressed because most of the time nobody raises their hand. We need a men's ministry in every single church that we have. 
And if our men are taken out, then imagine the effect that that has on the mothers and the wives. And if the mothers and wives aren't getting 100% of their husband, then imagine how much the kids are getting of both their parents. I believe that it starts at the top and it works itself down. And I'm not here to talk about the W-O, the big old W-O. But what I want to talk about is the fact that even our men need a ministry to help them find accountability. It's not enough to just sweep a little old lady's porch or to take the leaves off her roof. We need to address the issues that Ellen White said are going to be the issues at the end of time. Desire of ages. I started collecting these promises as leaves from the tree of autumn, as Ellen White says. And you know what? They helped me. Because you know what? I was driven by my feelings. My feelings controlled me. My feelings said, oh, you're late for school. You know, masturbate. You're, you're, you're early for work. Masturbate. You know, you're upset, angry. I just kept going to my sin, no matter what my feelings were telling me. But the, I had to start moving from my feelings into the word of God because this is what the word of God said. Because every time I would fall into masturbation and fantasy, even if it didn't include pornography, what happened is I was under the enemy's allegiance, and he was telling me that you're pathetic. God will never want you. Your probation is closed. It's over for you. But if I moved from the feelings and the words that the enemy was giving me, and if I moved into the words of faith, then I could stand on the word of God besides what I felt, and I could hold God accountable for the power that he desires to give to each one. Even the power of demons is under the control of our Savior. That deserves a big fat amen. amen. Hallelujah. And the working of evil is overruled for good. Isn't that amazing? Such a simple little quote, and yet there's so much power in that. And I can hold him accountable. Lord, this is what you said. You said that you have the ability to overrule these enemies, and Lord, they're attacking me. Help me. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. There was a man that I loved, and his name was Bill Livesey. And he unpacked, <laughs> I don't know why that makes me emotional, but he unpacked this verse for me in such a way that it's given me power even today. And, you know, I'm not that bright, so you've got to keep it simple. But he said, basically, he showed me the formula to this verse. And let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Very simple. What's the only word that you have any power in this verse at all? Just shout it out. Huh? I said shout it out. That was a whisper. <laughs> what? Let. It's the only word that you have any control over at all. Let. It's the very first word. Everything else is what Christ has already provided for you. Does Jesus look at pornography? It's not a trick question. You can say no. Does Jesus masturbate? No. Does Jesus lust after women or men or, or children or animals or whatever? Of course not. And so 2,000 years ago, when he rose from the dead, he accomplished everything that you need to have victory today. Not tomorrow, not next week. You can have it today because he's already provided it. The only variable in this equation is you. You have to give him permission. The devil's going to cheat and steal and destroy anything that he can, but Jesus is a perfect gentleman, and he knows that he cannot fight your will. And so it's the will that has to be controlled or disciplined, and that comes from you. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean that you can save yourself, but you're a part of the process. And that's why we struggle with the flesh, because Jesus wants you to know that your strength is only in him, but he cannot control your will. Make sense? So now I have to give Jesus permission. And forgive me for the analogy or whatever, but I shared it with the kids, so I'm going to share it with you. One day I'd had victory over my, my uh, pornography and masturbation for uh, several months. And I was stepping into the shower, and I'm surrounded by soap, and I think you know where I'm going. And all of a sudden, this dirty thought came right into my head, and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's been so long. Why would this thought come in my head? And the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, too, but I want to acknowledge the fact that temptation is not sin. Do we know the difference? 
Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you've sinned. But in a temptation, I have to do something with that. And I can stick it in my pocket and I can indulge it later. According to James chapter 1 and 14 and 15, it says that when sin has been or when lust has been conceived, it brings forth sin. So when something is conceived, it takes a while before it, it gives birth, right? So I could stick that in my pocket and I could work it out later and the devil would know that he had a foothold in my mind. But Jesus says, Mike, give that to me. Because on your own, Mike, you can't deal with that. You can't handle that. And so I have a decision to make. And here I am standing in the shower. I didn't have time to step out and read the Bible for another two hours. I didn't have time to go on a three-day fast. I needed victory now on standing there around all this soap. And just then, in my frustration, because, of course, I want my sin. If it wasn't a temptation, it wouldn't be a problem. But I also want to serve my Savior, who's calling my name and saying, give that to me, Mike. And I said, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit enlightened my mind to this verse. And he said, claim Philippians 2, verse 5. And I said, fine. And I was frustrated because, of course, I wanted my sin. And I said, I give you permission to take these dirty, nasty thoughts. And because I live alone, I can yell. And I said, and if you don't take this from me right now, I'm going to indulge in it. And what was so miraculous, brothers and sisters, and I can't even begin to tell you the joy that I felt, but my next thought was about baseball, and I hate baseball. (laughs) I guess Jesus loves baseball because I claim the mind of Christ. But what was so amazing is that he was able to change what I couldn't change. He was able to take what had controlled me and, and mastered me for so many years in that instant. And so I can have the victory right now, right here today, by exercising the promises that he put in the word. In John, it said that, the, that Jesus was God, right? And that the word, or Jesus was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word is his word. The word is also his power. And so use his word to combat the enemy. It's what Jesus did, right? He answered with a, thus saith the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us our sins, let's finish it, but to cleanse us from all, and how much unrighteousness? Okay, so I want to give you a little lesson here, and I'm looking for participation, even in the back row. So here I have a situation, right? What's the only thing that Jesus asked me to do? That's it. Oh, you're brilliant. The only thing that he asked you to do is confess. Can you forgive yourself? Can you cleanse yourself? No, okay. And so here's the situation. If we confess our sins, who's faithful? Did he say you were? (laughs) You struggle with that. Did he say you were faithful? No, No, of course not. Because he understands 6,000 years of degenerated flesh. I need a volunteer. Would you come up, please? Yeah, come on, Doc. He's the most enthusiastic person here this morning. (laughs) Well, you have been every day, so I I really appreciate that. So um, give me your first name again. Jeff. So Jeff is Jesus. All right. And Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big responsibility, but I think you can handle it. So Jesus has already died for Mike Carducci. How long ago? Come on, you guys get a little quicker. Two thousand years ago. Okay. And so Jesus accomplished this for Mike Carducci. This is my overcoming victory. Would you agree? Do you agree? (laughs) Folks, do you agree? Okay. All right. So (laughs) easy, Jesus. All right. So 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 Jesus, does he want me to have this? Of course he does. And so Jesus extends, extends this out to Mike Carducci. This is everything that I need to have victory over my sin, right? And so this is me. This is me for you. As I would say, dear Jesus, please give me what I need to battle the enemy today. Is there anything wrong with that prayer? Nothing wrong with that prayer. But there's some part that's missing. I thought that I had to earn it. I thought that I had to deserve it. Is there any way that I can earn what Jesus did for me on the cross? Do I deserve what he did for me on the cross? But he still extends it out to me, and he wants me to have it. 
and I accepted him as my savior. And so I'd, I'd pray a little strong and I'd say, dear Lord, please give me what I need to battle the enemy. What's the problem? It's so simple. And yet in my mind, because my mind is deceitful above all things, I don't know if the problem was that I really wanted to eventually indulge in my sin or if the problem was I really didn't feel like I deserved it or earned it. And so when Bill Liversidge helped me to unpack the fact that the only thing he asked me to do is just confess what you've done, just acknowledge your iniquities. And if you buy into the lie that LGBT is acceptable by God, you'll never acknowledge your sins and you'll never find the forgiveness and the restoration that God has available for you. But here's the issue now. Now that I understand that, now that my eyes have been opened to the fact that he wants me to have it, he's provided it for me, and the beautiful part is, is that I don't deserve it. The beautiful part is, is that I can't earn it, right? And so because of my great need, he provides it for me, so I'm not asking for it anymore. I'm taking what is rightfully mine. Thank you, thank you. I'm taking what is rightfully mine now because I need it, and I'm so desperate for it. And then I don't have to earn it. Isn't that beautiful? And we have to break down that, I think, to a lot of people because people that have been abused, people that have been molested, people that have been raised in abusive homes verbally, they don't think that they deserve or had, you know, have access to something this beautiful. And, that, and so as I started to understand that more, I started to realize that my victory has already been satisfied. You don't have to struggle with your sin anymore. You have to struggle with the will, but you don't have to struggle with your sin. You see the difference? Admitting and submitting. I stole this from Cy Rogers. Cy Rogers was a young man. He was transgendered. He was molested at five years old by his mother's lover. His mother was killed in a car accident, and his father gave him away. So this little boy grew up being rejected and abandoned by both of his parents. So here he was converted by the Lord, and now he has an incredible ministry, and he was the very first testimony that I ever saw in 2000 of uh, any homosexual that had been converted and, and had been changed. And you know what? That began me on my journey to Jesus. And so Cy Rogers, he has this beautiful um, explanation, a two-punch two process. And, and I use it, and I, I think that it's really powerful. Let me break it down for you. The first step to any victory over your sin, number one, just admit it, if you'll just admit it. And that part, you know, in Jeremiah 79 keeps coming up that we're deceitful. We're always going to try to, to, you know, think that this is okay and that I can stick that in my pocket and use it later. But if I'll just admit, it, admit that I'm being tempted, I'm halfway there. If I'll just admit that I'm being tempted, now I have something to do with this thing. Acknowledging the fact that I'm being tempted, that's the first step. Now it's what I do with it that's going to make the difference. I don't have the power or the ability to overcome this on my own. I might be able to do a little bit of behavior modification and call a friend, but Jesus is looking for relational restoration. Isn't that right? So now he says, Mike, if you'll just take that and submit that to me, I have the power and authority to wipe out its power over you. But what do I have to do? I have to submit it. I have to learn to submit it. Each and every time that thought comes in my head, I have to admit it and then submit it. Admitting and submitting, admitting and submitting. And you know, sometimes that happens every five minutes. Sometimes it happens while I'm in prayer. I have to admit it and submit it to Jesus. And you know, just like a muscle that you train, if I hadn't worked out before and I start to do an arm curl, I might only be able to do five pounds. Ah, oh, it hurts, right? But if I keep doing that five pounds, eventually I can get up to an eight pounder. Eventually I can go to a 12 pounder and maybe eventually get to a 25 pound curl. So it takes time that process of, of, of overcoming victory. And it may not be perfect at first. You may struggle. You may fall. The beautiful thing is in Proverbs, it says that, that the righteous and the wicked, they both fall. Isn't that right? The righteous man falls how many times? 
Seven times. He falls seven times. What does seven represent in the Bible? No. It does. It really does. It leads to it. But I really like to emphasize this because we get so caught up in perfectionism or, or whatever. And, and yes, God's going to bring us to perfection. Only the overcomers will I grant to sit with me in my throne. But perfection is not the complete, I believe, term for seven. It means completion. It's a process, right? How many times did Haman have to dip into the river before he was healed? Seven times. Would it have worked if he stopped at five? Of course not. So we have to keep getting up. If you fall, get back up. If you fall, get back up. And seven means completion. As many times as it takes until you get back up. If you fall three times in a day, just get back up. And here's the most profound truth to that verse. Did you know that you cannot fall unless you're standing? It says that the wicked man falls into mischief. He just stays there. He doesn't even care. He's not even fighting it. He's just giving in. But the righteous man gets back up. And when you get back up, that makes you a target for the enemy again. And so there's a process, and God understands that. And he's taken all of that into consideration. And if you'll just get back up, he promises that he can brace you. Even if you fall again, you keep getting back up until your process is complete. Isn't that sweet? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay, I'm going to play this one. This is pretty good. Keegan was a young man. He was at a birthday party in fifth grade. There were older adults there. They had a porn magazine. There wasn't a girl, so they held Keegan down and they raped him. And so this started this bisexuality for little Keegan. He was a mess, as you can imagine. But he did eventually find the Lord, and he has an incredible testimony. But he says something really beautiful about the process of overcoming sin, and it helped me. That beautiful amazing amazing and so simple and a, a beautiful tool what I also had to understand that I had to understand the difference between my earthly father and my heavenly father 
Even though my dad was a head elder of his church, married four times, a sexual addiction, at 16 years old, I would clean my father's offices for a little bit of extra money while I was in academy, and I would find my dad's pornography. I knew he was a fraud. I also recognize now that he was struggling with the flesh, something that he probably struggled with for a very long time. But also, I re related my father's uh, character to God's character. And I thought that the only way that God would love me is if I was perfect and if I was, uh, my dad was arbitrary and judgmental. And so I had to be whatever he wanted me to be to be accepted. And so I thought the same with God. As I walked with Jesus for seven years, that's how long it took before Jesus could introduce me to who my heavenly father was. And that was an amazing revelation for me. Imagine being 47 years old and your eyes are finally open to who a loving and compassionate God is. I thought that God was up there in heaven basically just waiting for me to get my act together and that he was waiting to flick me in the head whenever I would get it wrong. But it wasn't until I read John 7 or 14, 9 that it, my eyes became open and it says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it took seven years of walking with Jesus Christ, seven years of that process of falling and getting back up, seven years of that before I finally had faith enough in Jesus to know that he was my Savior and that he would be there for me. And then he said, now let me show you, Mike, who your father really is. Imagine what a revelation that was. And so now these verses come with a special meaning. It changes. I don't see God as somebody that I have to run from. I see him as someone that I can run to. It says he's watching over you, trembling child of God. Are you tempted? He will deliver. Are you weak? He will strengthen. Are you ignorant? He will enlighten. Are you wounded? He will heal. Isn't that beautiful? Come unto me is his invitation. Whatever your anxieties and trials, spread out your case before the Lord. Your spirit will be braced for endurance. Wow, how many times do we need to hear that, right? The way will be open for you to disentangle yourself from embarrassment and difficulty. The weaker and more helpless you know yourself to be, the stronger will you become in his strength. The heavier your burdens, the more blessed the rest in casting them upon the burden bearer. Whoa, aren't these beautiful? Now you know why I love Ellen White. You know, and I, I, it makes my heart so sad that we as Adventists, we have such a negative opinion of Ellen White, and I get it because I grew up, you know, and, and I was beaten by Ellen White too as a kid. Like, you can't do this and you can't do that and don't do this and don't do that. And so many of us grow up and it's like, don't talk to me about her. You know, take that book away. I don't want to read it. But I realize now that, of course, the gospel is always going to step on our toes, but it's going to reinforce us more than it's going to hurt us. And that a warning does come with a decision to make. And so Ellen White has been a, an incredible resource for me. I, I don't know if I would still be a Christian today if it wasn't for her writings. I remember when I was baptized, the only things I ever read was the autobiography of Elizabeth Taylor. And so when I came into the church, the Bible with the these and thous, you can have it. But somebody offered me a desire of ages. And in my sick mind, I was so used to pornography and so used to, to um, you know, reading books that were filled with sexuality. I thought to myself, oh, what about the woman caught in adultery? That ought to be pretty juicy. So I flipped open that book to the woman caught in adultery. I'm sorry, I'm just being real, right? And as I couldn't relate to the men, but I could relate to the women. And as I read that story, instead of finding the smut that I was looking for, I found a compassionate Savior that didn't condemn her. And he said, get up. He said, don't do this anymore. He said, this hurts you and this hurts other people. Wow, I was blown away by that. But I wasn't done. So I thought, what about that woman at the well? She was pretty juicy, right? Married five times, and the man she's living with isn't even her husband. Let me read about her. So I went to that part. And again, instead of finding what I was looking for, Jesus revealed himself to me yet again. And that this woman was so 
enlightened and touched by the compassion of the Savior that did tell her exactly what was going on in her life, that she left and she didn't even give our Savior a refreshment. Instead, she proclaimed to the city that she had met the Savior that day. I had to shut the book, and I began at the first page. And I started reading Desire of Ages. And when I finished that book, I fell in love with Jesus. I don't know if I could have done that if someone would have just given me a Bible. And that's the power of what our spirit of prophecy has for me. And you know what? It still helps me today. Dogs in the garage. So remember, I went to my church and I asked my pastor for men's ministry. The best they could do is uh, one of the elders on the board, he looked at me and he pointed at me and he said, I don't want to be running around in the woods like a bunch of gay men. And so, of course, that was shut down. Nobody said a word. But God gave me a men's ministry in my living room. And I had prayed and I had asked the Lord, you know, just give me Bible studies. And two men, two men on their own, totally different times, took me to the same restaurant and to the same table in the same restaurant. Can you imagine that? And the only time that a man ever asked me to go to lunch was if they had a multi-level marketing program. And so I was expecting it. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're going to be seen with me in public, people are going to talk. So anyway, here we were sitting at that table. And these two men confessed to me that they had a pornography addiction. They weren't gay. They had heard that I had found victory, and they said, Mike, I'm desperate for that. Can you help me? And the only thing that I knew is I said, well, come over to my house Tuesday night, 6 o'clock. I said, and I'll give you what the Lord gave me. And there were two men in my living room on Tuesday night for over a year, and page by page we would go through ministry of healing. And, you know, we didn't read it like a textbook to check off that, yes, I did my reading for my, my book report, but instead – what we did is we unpacked each and every paragraph. And sometimes what I do, and this is, this is really powerful. I, I was doing it even this morning. But I'll take a paragraph of what Ellen White says, you know, like a, a corporate promise, you know, that the same Jesus who came 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus today that wants to heal men completely, physically, spiritually, mentally. That's on the first page. And so what I'll do is I'll transpose it, and I'll put it in first person. And many times we have this tendency to pray corporately. And I think that what you do is you, you omit the opportunity to find intimacy with your Savior. And what I'll do is I'll change the words and I'll say that Jesus, the same Jesus that came 2,000 years ago, is the same Jesus that came for me and to heal me completely, physically, spiritually, and mentally. Do you see the difference in that? And so just transposing it, it almost turns into a prayer. And, and so I, I can take these verses. And so these two men were in, <laughs> I got a little delay or uh, off on a rabbit trail. Sorry. So let me pull it back a little bit. So these two men are in my living room every night on Tuesday nights, right, at 6 o'clock, and we're reading Ministry of Healing, and, and these men were starting to find that victory too. I've recommended Ministry of Healing to people around the world, pastors in South Africa, young women in, in uh, Austria. You know, wherever I go, I find that they find power in these verses as well, in this tiny little ugly red book with this really disgusting title, right? But yet it has great power because it didn't talk about my sin as much as it talked about my Savior, my powerful Savior. So anyway, here we are, and this, this man, he brought this story, and he said, you know, it was um, one night, he said that, it was Friday night, and I was going to bed, and I said to my, my children, I said, listen, don't put the dogs in the garage, it's not too cold outside, they'll be all right. And, and so he went to bed that night, and the next morning he woke up, and he was getting ready to go to church, he had his Sabbath clothes on, and he opens up the garage door, and don't you know, that his children left the dogs in the garage. And they had gotten into something. He lived in the woods in the country. And so they had vomited and had diarrhea all over his garage. <laughs> Imagine what that looks like after it sits on cement for a while, right? Let me let you get an image of that for a second. <laughs> and so then what happens is he says, you know what? I'm, re I'm ready to go to church. I can't deal with this now. And he said, I'll just have to deal with it when I get back. 
He went to church. He had a blessing. He was finding that victory in Jesus. He was finding an intimate relationship with Christ for the first time in 35 years. He comes home. He changes his clothes, and he goes out to the garage on the holy Sabbath of the Lord, and here he is scooping up dried-up diarrhea and vomit that's like falling into boxes between the cars or whatever. And as he's cleaning up this mess, you can imagine the smell and everything else. But as he's cleaning up his, this mess, this thought came to his mind. He said, you know what? This is really my daughter's responsibility. She's the one that let the, let the dogs in last night. But he said, you know what? I really don't mind cleaning up after her. And just then, Jesus spoke to him, and he said, you know, Tom, I don't mind cleaning up after you either. <laughs> Do you see the connection? You see the object lesson? Raise your hand if you have children. All right? Raise your hand if you've ever changed a diaper. All right. So have you ever seen a child try to change themselves? But that's what we do. We think that we can, we can clean up our act. We think that we can hide this, or maybe we think that we can get over this on our own. And so it's just like a little child trying to clean up their own diaper on their own. You're only going to make a bigger mess. And so if we recognize that our Father loves us, that he's got everything prepared for us, then we can submit ourselves to him. Now, little kids, you know, they, they lay there in front of their parents while they change them. But, you know, then when your kid starts to learn how to walk, they start running. You have to chase them down and repackage them and then send them on their way. But eventually the little kid starts to realize that if I'm in need, I can submit myself to my parent and they will change me and cleanse me up. And we have to recognize that, that the same love that your parent have for you is the same love that your heavenly father has for you as well. And so I had to learn the process that when I would fall into my sin, I can't run from God. I now can run to God. Does that make sense? And so uh, that was the story about the dogs in the garage. The victory can be gained, for nothing is impossible with God. By his assisting grace, all evil temper, all human depravity may be overcome. Every Christian must learn of Christ. Cry unto the Lord, tempted souls. Throw yourself helpless, unworthy upon Jesus, and claim his very promise. The Lord will hear. That's a promise right there. Lord, you hear me. I don't have any evidence of that. I don't know where you are. You haven't answered any of my prayers. But according to your word, you hear me. And because you hear me, I can continue to stay in your presence, knowing that you're there, whether I feel it or not. He knows how strong are the inclinations of the natural heart. And he will help in what? Every time. Every time of temptation. You said you would help me in every time. I need that now. What loving father wouldn't want to help a child that screamed out and cried for help? Daddy, help me, right? Yeah, we all know that one. <laughs> Hebrews 1.9, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Well, quite frankly, I don't know that I'm that good. But let me go on. I wanna, what I want to talk about is my mom smoked for over 50 years, and that's not me in that ashtray. <laughs> it's probably a relative, but my mother quit smoking after 50-plus years of smoking. Is that amazing? It's amazing. And so one of the things that I talked to her after she had had the victory for over 10 years, I said, Mom, I'm really proud of you. It's been over 10 years. And she says, yeah. She says, I, you know, not a day goes by and that I don't think about my cigarettes. I go, really? And she says, yeah, I miss them. She says, they were my best friend. I said, your best friend? Yeah, my cigarettes were there when your father left me. My cigarettes were there in the good times and the bad. When my husbands would leave, my cigarettes were still there. I'd go out to party, my cigarettes would be with me. First thing in the morning, my cigarettes were there. She says, I feel like I lost my best friend. And I looked at my mom and I said, really, mom? I said, your best friend was killing you. And just then Jesus spoke to me and he said, Mike, your best friend's killing you. And that I had allowed masturbation to become my best friend, my sexual sin. And this was my best friend because even though it gave me 10 minutes of satisfaction, 
it would leave me emptier and emptier each and every time I was finished with it, which was, of course, the driving force for more. And who wants to be my best friend? Say his name. That's right. Jesus wants to be my best friend. So he's not into competition. He's not going to fight. And I had to make a decision. I want Jesus as my best friend. And so in Steps of Christ, where Ellen White says, pray that prayer, Lord, help me to love what you love. Help me to hate what you hate. Because on my own, I can't. I can't hate what I love. And so I want to give you this analogy. There was a, um, my friend Ruben. Remember my Puerto Rican um, Gilligan, right? And so Ruben and I, we had actually gone from Florida all the way out to the, um, to the far west to find the counsel of somebody that we trusted. And, you know, we were struggling still with pornography. We recognized that it was wrong. We had left our relationships. And, and he was my good friend, and he gave me great counsel. It's so sad to me that 10 years ago he actually left the church, and he's now in a relationship with a man, and he's married, and they live in Seattle. So if you think about Reuben, pray for him. But anyway, here we were, and Reuben had the guts to go up to this speaker, and he said, hey, you know, he says, I'm struggling with, porn, you know, with masturbation. You know, how, how can I get over this? And this man sat us down, and he gave us such wise counsel that day. It really helped to illuminate my mind about what was really going on. And here's the situation. It says, he said to us, he said, your sin, masturbation to you, is like this beast. And it's chained to your leg. And that beast is going to take your salvation. And wherever you go, you drag this beast with you. Nobody sees it. But every time you indulge in it, you feed it. And my beast was fat and happy. And so as I'm feeding this beast, all of a sudden, I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I realize, oh, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. And so I don't feed the beast so much. Maybe now he's getting thinner. Maybe now I only uh, feed him once a month or maybe once a year or once every six months. And now my beast is starving. My beast is barely alive, but he's still chained to my leg. And as long as he's alive, I'm dragging this beast with me, and he's going to take my salvation. He said, Mike, the mind is so deceitful. You're going to do anything that you can to feed this beast. I've been a good boy. It's been six months. I can indulge that, right? And he said, you'll never have victory over your sin until you determine that the beast must die. That means that you've got to take a knife out and you've got to stab your best friend in the heart. You've got to slit his throat and you've got to stomp his head. And until I determined that I wanted the sin out of my life, I was never going to have that victory. And change started to come because in my mind I had to make the decision. I had to kill my best friend. And on my own I can't do that. But with the tools that the Lord was giving me, and I made this determination that this thing must go, and that is what I believe is working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Trembling because God wasn't going to rip it out of my hands, and I had to give this precious thing up on my own, right? Isn't that the power of the will? Oh, I didn't read that. Come on back. Hatred of sin is vital to full salvation. Humanly speaking, no man is safe until he has learned to hate sin as deeply as he formerly loved it. He may resist sin. He may even flee from it. But as long as there is a lingering love of sin in the heart, he is not on safe ground. As love of good is vital, so also is hatred of evil. It may truly be said that our capacity for love of the good is measured in balance by our capacity for hatred of evil. I'm actually going to close on this one. And I want to tell you a story. One of my friends actually went to a, a weekend seminar for sex addicts, for sex addiction. And he had had the victory over pornography. Praise God. But what he wanted is he wanted reinforcements. He wanted to know that, that what he was doing was the right thing and if there were more tools that he, could, that he could glean from this seminar. And so he went. There were 30 men in this room. And each one of those men had a counselor, private counselor. And they were with them. It was in a church. 
And so what they did is from Thursday until Sunday, they heard incredible testimonies. You know, they heard incredible Bible verses, and they were, they were encouraged, and they were reinforced with all the scripture and tools to help them overcome. So on the very last day, and we're talking about some pretty severe sex addicts, people that were addicted to not only pornography but prostitution, um, a lot of sexual acting out, and, and these men were desperate men, as you can imagine. So what they did is they ushered all 30 of these men into the basement of this church. It was a huge church, like a big auditorium, 30 men, and they were blindfolded. And what they did is they led them into this maze that they created with the chairs in the basement, a large maze, and they led these men in with their counselors. Can you imagine that? 60 men in this, in this maze. It was really big. And so what they did is they said, you've got 45 minutes to find your way out. Go. But they didn't know it, that what they did is they closed off the maze. There's no way out. No way out. Does that sound fair? Of course not. So while they're in there, they can ask their counselor any question that they have. And as they're running around, imagine 30 men trying to find their way out with their counselor beside them, you know, and they're bumping into chairs and they're bumping into each other and they've got 45 minutes, go. And it took about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, one guy got out. How'd he get out? I don't know. My friend is blindfolded and he's in there. A few minutes later, another guy got out. So there's still 28 men with their counselors, right? Another 28 counselors still trapped inside this maze that there's no way out. Doesn't make sense, does it? And just then my friend raised his hand. Counselor came over and he said, what's your question, Bob? And he said, is there a way out? And he said, wrong question. And he stepped away. And so they started fighting some more. You know, these guys are bumping into each other. Now it's 20 minutes later, 25 minutes later. Nobody's out. These men are starting to break down because, you know, these guys are tough guys. Some of them are starting to cry. They're so frustrated. They want out. They know they have a limited amount of time to find their way out, and nothing's working. And just then, my friend raises his hand again. And the counselor comes over. And he says, what's your question? And he said, will you help me out? And he said, that's the right question. And he let him out of the circle. And that's what sexual sin does. You know, we walk into it willingly. We're blindfolded to the effects of what our sin is going to do to us. And then, of course, the devil, he's not only going to deceive you but cheat you and then kill you. And then he cuts off any access to find your way out. There's no way out for you. There's no way out for you. You need the help of somebody stronger. You need the help of your counselor. You need the help of the one who has the only ability to see the situation as it is. And he's the only one that was able to bust a hole in that wall so that you could escape but you have to recognize that you can't do it on your own. And I think it's so sad that these men, after this long, this long conference, they still weren't able to recognize that they needed to ask for help to find their way out of that circle. And I believe that that's each one of us. Whatever your situation is, whatever you may be going through, it's already got the answer. And that the devil's going to make it evasive. The devil's going to make it uh, something that you're going to think is just something that is, there's just no way out. But I guarantee you that what God has done for me, he can do for you. And what he does for me on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, I still have those thoughts. Those thoughts still come, but now I know what to do with them. And it doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be perfect either. There could be a day that I might fall. And you know what? I know now the promises that I'll claim. I know now the promises that he's given to me. And I, and I think that we do harm to each other when we expect this perfection, thinking that, you know, I've arrived and that I'll, I'll never struggle with that again. But I believe that the greatest part of the gospel is that, yes, the struggle can continue until the very end of time. Jesus was tempted like in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted until the final moments on the cross. Do I think that I'm better than him, that I'm not going to be tempted? Yes, I'll be tempted. 
but it's learning what to do with those temptations and to master that and to recognize that the grace of God is with me always and that I can pull out that resource anytime that I need it. And what it does, more importantly, is it teaches me the dependence on Jesus Christ. What it does is for the first time, I have a best friend that's not going to take my life. He's not going to take away my right to choose, but instead what he's going to give me is going to give me joy. How is it? That a relationship with Jesus Christ that I can't hold, that I can't see, I can't touch, I can't feel him. But that Jesus Christ is better than sex. I can't explain it, but I do experience it. I can tangibly feel him affect me. And you know what? If this is the best it's ever going to be, if I never have the opportunity to express myself sexually with my wife, it's okay. This is pretty good. I'm happy. And I believe that even the challenges of a single person you know, whether you're, you're divorced or whether you're widowed or, or whatever the situation is. Maybe you're a student in college. That the same grace that holds me is the same grace that is available to hold you as well. And I think that we do a disservice to, to single people when we go up to them and they say, oh, are you dating? You know, are you married yet? Because you instantly infer to that person that there must be something wrong with you if you're not with someone. I get it. I hear it all the time, especially in Spanish churches. What is that about? <laughs> Maybe it's like that mama thing. Who's cooking for you? Well, look at me. Somebody's cooking for me. But again, I, I, I recognize that, that these are issues that we have to start talking about in the church. We have to open up the doors and, and recognize that we need help and, and, and that the church has a responsibility. We have to change the way that we do church. We have to be patient with people. We have to be loving with people. And we have to start connecting with people. And that doesn't mean that we approve of your sin. We don't throw away the truth to be loving. We establish the truth. We hold up the truth, and we recognize and let people know that the power of Jesus Christ is still alive today, and it's being manifested in me. And you know what? I don't have your problem, but I got my own. And you know what? It takes away the condescension. It's like, oh, you poor little sinner. Maybe Jesus can help you. <laughs> Instead, it's like, let's get in the ditch with each other and say, you know what? I'm on this process too. And you know what? I still struggle with my, my temper. I still struggle with my appetite. I have other issues now that the sexual thing seems to be um, out of the way. Aren't we all on that path? I haven't arrived. But let's help each other out of that process. And if you're hurting, I'll hurt with you. And if you're struggling, I'll struggle with you. But if you're rejoicing, let's have a party, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful to experience in the church today? Amen. Let's stand together as we close. Don't forget to write down your questions if you want a Q&A tomorrow. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your power and your grace. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for your love. I had no idea, Lord, the love that abounds from you to me. I had no idea, Lord, how I was blocking that. I had no idea, Lord, how I was cutting myself off from the supply of, of never-ending strength and love, Lord, that you have shown me that is available to me, not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. And so, Lord, for anyone that's within the sound of my voice, Lord, speak to them, remind them, let them know, Lord, that you desire to help them, you desire to deliver them, and that that's not something in the future, that's something today. And then, Lord, by recognizing that we can never do this on our own, Lord, what a freedom that is. You make the gospel so simple, and you just say, Lord, you just say, come to me as you are. I love the story of Jacob, Lord, how he wrestled with you all night long. I love spirit of prophecy because, Lord, I wouldn't know that was you had she not told me. And as you were struggling with Jacob all night long, you asked him, you said, what is your name? And just like 1 John 1, 9, he confessed his sins. He said, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar and I'm a deceiver.
And Lord, he hadn't had opportunity to change his life. He'd come to you as he was, but you said, no, I'm giving you a new name. And your new name is Israel, and that means redeemed. Your name is now redeemed. Now go and demonstrate your new identity. And Lord, you offer that to each one of us. Let us, Lord, have that conversation with you. Let us confess our sins and to know, Lord, that you are faithful and just, not only to cleanse us, but also to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.